I want to welcome those of you who are gathered here today, but uh, we also welcome in those who are joining us online. Good to have you be a part of Freedom Online, whether you're watching live here on Sunday or if you're catching this a little later in a recorded version during the week, it's always good to have you be a part of what's happening in Freedom. Uh, If you maybe are new to Freedom or if you haven't been here the past uh, couple of weeks, I'll tell you that we are in a series right now uh, entitled Big Choices. We're talking about some of the significant choices that we make in life that really do impact the direction and the quality of our lives. And I'm just going to say a quick word about where we're going to be going next week. Next week we're going to be talking about choosing the important over the urgent. And I'm excited about the message next week because this is the one, probably more than any other message in this series, that has the potential to be the most liberating. Do do you ever feel like you live constantly with the tyranny of the urgent? Or with just the tyranny of the expectations of others that you're all the time living to do what other people ask you to do, expect you to do, need you to do. We're going to talk about next week getting free from that and really wrapping your life around the things that matter the most. I hope you'll be a part of that. But today we're going in a bit of a different direction, but we are talking about important stuff. And I'm going to break one of the first rules that they teach you in seminary just to start with today. They teach you in seminary. Uh, When you're preaching, that you're always supposed to set a hook on the front end and you do it with something either positive or funny. You never start with something negative. And I'm just going to break that rule. I'm going to start with a negative today. And here it is. It's a negative that you just know and already know and live with. And that is, you're going to have pain in your life. And you can't avoid it. Life is hard. Life has trouble. And you are going to have pain. That much is unavoidable. Some are going to have more than others, but everybody's going to have pain. Jesus said that in John 16:33. He said, the world will make you suffer. How many of you have suffered at the hands of the world? We all have. He said, the world will make you suffer, but good news, be brave. I have defeated the world. Now, that is indeed really good news. What I want to talk about today is the suffering that we endure, the pain that we endure, For as much as we have a choice in the matter, making sure that we pick our pain and that we choose well. Now, there's certain pain you're going to have in life that you can't do anything about. You didn't cause it. You didn't choose it. You're just going to have to live with it. Some of those things are going to come our way. The company that you work for downsizes and you get a pink slip. That wasn't because you're a bad employee. It's just a circumstance of life, and that's painful. That's hard. Those kinds of things are going to happen. That's not what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about all of the situations where our choices determine our pain or pleasure. And much of the time, we get to choose our pain. Don't you know that's a fact? I mean, think about, parents, think about your kids. Don't they get to pick their pain? I mean, they either live with the pain of following your rules, following your boundaries, like, you know, you don't get to go to that party. You don't get to go spend the night with that friend. You can stay with this one. You can't stay with that one. They either pick the pain of living within your boundaries or they choose the pain of the consequences, right? You did go to the party. You said you were going to this friend's house, but you stayed at that friend's house. And now there's a lot more pain, isn't there? Because you didn't live with the initial pain of the boundaries. Think about when you were a student, you picked your pain. You either chose the pain of going to class, taking notes, doing your reading assignments, studying hard for exams. That's painful, isn't it, at some level? 
You either had that pain or you chose the pain of failing and taking the class again during the summer or the next semester. Pick your pain. As adults, we make these choices all the time. I mean, think about your finances. Pick your pain. You can either live with the pain of only spending within your means. Only spending what you can afford to spend. Only spending what you can pay for in cash. There's some pain associated with that. All the times that you have to say no when you wanted to say yes. Or you can live with the pain of overwhelming debt. We get to choose. We get to pick our pain. That's what we're going to talk about today. Making a choice. It's the choice between discipline and regret. And they both involve some pain. Don't you agree? Discipline is choosing to live with the right kind of pain in order to avoid a much worse kind of pain. Now, I want to start by talking about a good working definition of discipline. And I want us today to think in terms of discipline in these kinds of terms. That discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Would you agree with that? And more to the point, discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. I mean, think how many times you know what you want. You've got these great goals. You spelled them out on January 1st. But it ain't January 1st, is it? It's October 23rd. I know what I said I wanted at the start of the year, but I feel a rumbly in my tumbly. I, I had all these dreams and aspirations of what I was going to do with my body in 2016. I know what I want most, but I know what I want now. It's amazing how much power the now has. Discipline is choosing what I want most over what I want right now. I want to start with a a passage from the Apostle Paul. For many of us, this is one of our favorite things that Paul ever wrote. I think we feel that way in part because when you read the New Testament, Paul seems like Jesus Jr., doesn't he? I mean, just to read all that Paul said and did, it's like, oh my goodness, if Jesus had a little brother, it would have been Paul. He he got so much right. And thankfully, in Romans chapter 7, he gives us this glimpse at his humanity when he said these things. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Oh wow, I can relate to that. He goes on to say, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't do, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. How many of you have ever said what Paul has said here? I don't get myself. I don't understand myself. I used to always read this only in, you know, terms of of black and white morality. But I've come to realize what Paul is saying here applies to so many areas of our lives where we've got such a strong opinion about what we want to be and what we want to do and what we want to make sure that we never do. And yet we do it anyway. I mean, how many times in issues that we don't feel like it's a major matter of morality, and yet it really does impact our lives, do we make these choices where after the fact we're going, that is exactly what I swore I would not do. Why did I do that? Why did I eat the whole pie? I set out to make good eating choices, and now I eat like a pig. How did I get there? That's not what I want to do. I know what I want to do, and I don't do it. 
How many times do we express regret over something that we've made up our mind? I'm never going to get into a relationship like that again. And a month later or six months later or a year later, you're looking back saying, why did I do that again? I swore I would never get in a relationship like that again. And here I am in another destructive, God-dishonoring kind of relationship. I don't understand myself. And you just hear the depth of his despair when he says, What a miserable person that I am. Who's going to free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Hey, that's a word for some people here today. That's a word for some of you watching and listening online. That all you feel is the domination of sin and death. That you feel like God could never use me. God is so done with me because I've promised myself, I've promised God, I'll never do this again. I'm going to be different and I've just fouled up again and again and again. And if you think God is done with you, realize you're just in the same boat with the Apostle Paul and your pastor and everybody else in this room. We are undone by our own choices. Paul is just simply acknowledging that in my own strength, based on just my willpower, I'm so fouled up. I keep doing the things that I shouldn't do. Now, let's just be clear about this. Sure, there are plenty of issues that aren't our issues. There are plenty of struggles that other people in the world have that they just don't happen to be our struggle. I don't know why it falls out that way. It just does. Thank God that it does. That there are some things that different ones of us don't struggle with. We need not get puffed up about that because there are others that wear us out. And we need not have too much of an inflated opinion of ourselves or go around beating ourselves up all the time. Your struggles may not be mine, but trust me, I've got plenty. And I know that you do too. And that's what Paul is saying. His own struggles were at the forefront of his own mind. And he's just saying, I don't understand why in some areas I can be so disciplined, but in others I feel like such a loser. And I feel so ashamed because of how I fail. Well, one of the main things that we need to recognize today is that on our own, within our own strength, we will continue to fail again and again in those areas of great weakness. But Paul said, the good news is this, Christ in you will give you an ability to live a different kind of life so that you don't live filled with regret, that you live with power and discipline in your life. Hear how different Paul sounds when he writes 1 Corinthians 9 and he says this, Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? I think if Paul had been writing in 2016, he would have said, everyone runs, but in a a foot race, only Usain Bolt gets the prize. He's seen the Olympics. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. The key line in that. Run to win. Kind of amazed. I I love watching the Olympics, but I'm always amazed. And one of the things that I love watching is track and field. I I like watching the swimming, and I like watching uh, the foot races. I don't like the stuff where the judges get to determine that. That that just drives me crazy because... I can't tell who won and who lost until you flash up a number. I like the stuff where you can watch and go, he tagged first, he won. He crossed the line first, he won. And I'm kind of amazed when I'm watching them in the running races. You know, you you see these world-class athletes that are at the front of the pack, but it sort of amuses me in some of these longer races that you'll see people that they're just kind of like, I'm just glad to be here. (laughs) Isn't this cool that I'm in the Olympics? And they're getting lapped. 
And they just don't even look like they care. And I'm like, hey, tons of respect for you. You made it to the Olympics. I made it to my couch. So I, I can appreciate what you did. But they're not, you can tell, they're not running to win. They don't care that they're getting lapped. It's just like, I'm, I'm in Rio. I'm at the Olympics. Paul said, don't be one of those. Don't be that kind of Christian that's just kind of like, I'm just glad to be here. I'm just, I'm getting lapped. I'm, I have no hope of winning. He said, no, don't be a loser. Plenty of us struggle with feeling like we're losers, don't we? In certain areas of our lives, feel like I'm, I'm a loser of a spouse. I'm a loser of a parent. He said, don't run like a loser. Run to win. And every athlete who's going to run to win, they have to live with discipline. I mean, I think about the Olympic athletes that we watched this year. And Simone Biles. Good grief. Okay, I'm not a big fan of, of gymnastics, but she's phenomenal. I mean, what she does, I don't know if we'll ever see anybody else quite like her again. But the thing that stands out is when, you know how they'll always stop the live stuff and they'll go back and show you the background story? I think they had her doing gymnastic stuff in her mother's womb. She started so early. I mean, it's, it's crazy the hours and the years that they have to put into just all this discipline training, getting prepared for the day. And, of course, I, there's nobody who, I guess, embodies it more over the years than Michael Phelps. The guy has brought home 28 Olympic medals. 23 of them are golds. I mean, nobody in the history of the Olympics has even come to half that level. It, it's phenomenal. But his story is such a, a great picture of what it takes because, you know, London, he thought, was going to be his last games. But he also felt like he kind of goofed off leading up to London. And even though by most people's standards he had a phenomenal Olympics in London, he was like, that is just not how I'm going out. I, I know how little I trained and how much I partied and stuff. That's not, not how I'm going to wind up my career. And so he took the next four years and said, I'm going to focus. I'm going to be disciplined. And I'm going to go out the way that I should. And everybody saw when he's supposed to be too old to dominate. And he just thoroughly dominated in Rio. It takes great discipline. Now, Paul wasn't talking about the Olympics when he's talking about athletes in training. He was talking most likely, thinking most likely, about the Isthmian Games uh, in his day. And in those games, there was a lot of patriotism and national pride like in the Olympics. But they, they were very structured in how they prepared for that. They would spend 10 months in intensive training for those games. Uh, they would, of course, just really have to push their bodies to the limit. And some of the stuff that they would have to do is the stuff that we would expect today in terms of, you know, no alcohol, no junk food, very careful about their intake and, and all the exercise. But some of what they would do that was extreme was they thought it was important that you had to expose your body to extreme cold and to extreme heat to shock the body to prepare it. I mean, bottom line is they just abused their bodies in order to get ready for these games. And it's that kind of strict training and, and passion that Paul is talking about in terms of the discipline that we should live with in our own lives. And you know, I, I understand that for many of us, we struggle with the issue of discipline. I struggle with it. I struggle with it in so many areas of my life. There's no place that I feel like I feel it more, though, than in terms of just taking care of myself physically. For me, that's, that's a real temptation. You know, I want to be skinny and in shape. I think I want that most. 
But what I want now is for church to be over and to be at home eating Jackie's pot roast and all the trimmings. And she's got German chocolate cake that she just made yesterday. And that's my favorite. And we've got homemade bluebell to put on top of that. That's what I want right now. I don't want discipline. I want German chocolate cake and ice cream is what I want. We're disciples of Jesus. And the reason that disciple sounds a lot like discipline is because they come from the same root word. You can't be a disciple of Jesus and not have to wrestle with these issues of discipline. The writer of Hebrews, we're not sure if it was Paul or someone else. It sounds a lot like Paul, but he says this. This is the very same train of thought when he says in Hebrews 12.1, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. You know, when we watch the, the games today, international competition, the Olympics and all, we, we see how runners run. Um, it, it's almost in swimsuits today. You know, the, the ladies, what they wear, they, they strip down to where there's just nothing to get in their way. Nothing's going to create friction. Men have on little shorty short running shorts. It's not to try and show off. They're, they're just trying to strip off everything that would get in the way. And if you think it's skimpy today, it wouldn't have, they wouldn't have thought it was skimpy in Paul's day. Because in Paul's day, for the major games, the men ran completely nude. Now let me just tell you. If I'm in that race, you can bet I'm coming in first because if there's a pack of naked men running along with me, I'm coming in first in that race. I'm escaping that pack. That is not a pretty picture. But the writer of Hebrews is calling that picture to mind. He says, recognize how intense and passionate these people are. I mean, normally you picture people in Jesus' day, long flowing robes to the ground, you know, everything covered up. But he said, I want you to think not in terms of of the religious guys with their ropes to the ground. He said, I want you to think of the athletes. They strip it all off. And at some level, you know, we're thinking like, man, that is just messed up. Why Why are they doing that? Because they're so passionate about what they're doing. They're like, we don't care. Today, only one thing matters. And that is, I am running to win. And I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm stripping everything else away. Everything is focused on this one thing. And I want to tell you... That kind of focus, that kind of passion is what it takes to bring about change in the really hard areas of your life. It's that kind of focus and discipline that brings about excellence in any area of your life. If you're married and you look at your own marriage and you think, it is mediocre at best. At best, we have a very average marriage or below average Well, I want to tell you, it's going to take some single-minded focus and discipline to go from average to great. You can have a great marriage, but it's not going to happen by itself. It's going to take focus, effort, and discipline. That's true of just anything being great in your life. I mean, even to to the point of thinking about what we are and do and experience as a church. Think about how this applies to to our experience today. Do you want to just... Be an average church, just a, a meh, kind of mediocre average church where, yeah, we get together on Sunday for a little while, we shake some hands, hug some necks, sing some songs, hear some preaching, and go home and live our lives. Do you want to be a part of that kind of church, or do you want to be a church that's extraordinary? Do you want to be the kind of church where something significant happens every time we get together? Think about what you have to do in terms of personal discipline and focus that will make the difference.
Because it's really tempting to let your Sunday experience, as the Jews would say, start on Saturday night. The day begins with the night before. To start by staying up till the wee hours of the night partying or watching football until there's nobody left on the West Coast still playing football. You know, being up till the middle of the night, dragging to bed, sleeping late, getting up, feeling like you got a hangover. It's a football hangover because you stayed up so late the night before. Dragging into church, getting here at the last minute or a little bit late and just feeling like, oh my goodness, I wish I could have another hour of sleep. I hope the preacher is good today and I hope he does not go long. I just need to get done. Yeah, I don't need to hear too many amens on that. Hold back. Oh, me. But you know what I'm talking about. We have all had plenty of those Sundays. Some of you are going, you just described my life today. Here I am. Don't raise your hand. I get it. We've all been there. We know what that feels like. And you know what's going to happen on those days most of the time. Not much. Not for you. And it's going to impact what's happening in other people's lives around the room. What's the alternative to that? Well, here's an alternative. That we so prioritize what's happening on Sunday morning that we even decide, I'm going to go to bed at a reasonable hour because I want to be at my best tomorrow. I do that on on weeknights because I realize, man, work's important tomorrow. I don't want to feel rotten through the work day. I want to be fresh. I want to be ready for the day. Why would we bring less on Sunday? Why would we think less of what, what's going to happen on Sunday? This is the most important day of the week. Why would we not get up on Sunday a little bit earlier and prepare ourselves? I mean, just a little bit of discipline to say, I'm going to take just a little bit of time to get alone with God, to get my heart ready, to spend a little time in the Scripture and in prayer. I want to come in with my heart revved up and ready to go. I don't want to drag in a few minutes late. If anything, I want to get here a few minutes early. I want to come expectant. I want to be sharing the love of Christ with other people. I want to have a heart that's dialed into God. And when we start singing, I'm not going to wait to see if the band is hot. I'm going to bring the heat from here. I'm going to bring the heat from right where I stand. I'm going to bring my best. And from start to finish, I'm going to be giving God my best throughout this. How different would the worship experience be if a room full of people brought that kind of passion and focus and discipline? How exciting and full of energy would every Sunday morning be if that's what we bring to the table? It'd make all the difference in the world, wouldn't it? It's no different in your marriage. It's no different in your parenting. In anything, it's our willingness to focus and be disciplined and actually prepare for what we're doing. No athlete would stay up and party all week long and party the night before before he ran a race the next morning. He would have a single-minded focus. Let's strip away everything that would trip us up and run the race that God has for us. It's going to take discipline. The alternative is we live with regret. Regret about what could have been and what really was. Let's don't be people who live with regret. So, what do we do about that? We need to answer a couple of key questions. These are turning point kind of questions. I want you to, if you don't have your outline out, I want you to pull an outline out right now, please. Get it in front of you. Grab a pen. Everybody get a pen in hand and an outline in hand. This is the audience participation time. At home, watching and listening online, you may not have an outline, but you can grab a piece of paper and a pencil. I want you to respond to two questions. The first one is this. What one thing do you want most? What is it? If today you had to focus like a laser beam, I, I'm not saying, what are you know, overall, what are your priorities in life? We're talking about where you need to make change. This is where improvement is needed. And so if you're going to put your finger on one area of your life... 
Where is it? What is it that you want most? Now, don't go crazy. Don't say, well, I want to win the lottery or I want to divorce my husband and marry Channing Tatum. But, you know, let's put those things aside. What one thing do you want most? You might say, I want a really close relationship with God. I want a really great relationship with my husband or with my wife. I want a better relationship with my kids. You may say, I want to stop smoking. I want to get rid of my student loan debt. I want to get rid of my credit card debt. I want to get out of debt. You may say, I want to get in shape. I want to lose 30 pounds. What is it that you want most right now? Okay, be writing. I'm going to give you just a minute to, to get something down. All right, everybody got something in mind? Everybody got something on the page? Good. Bring it on. But don't bring seven things on. Because remember, this is the power of focus. If you're like me, I can think of a long list of things that need to be on the page. And that's going to totally water it down. One thing... Two at the absolute tops right now that you're going to focus on. And now the second question that has the power to begin to radically reshape your life. What do you need to choose now in order to achieve what you want most? This is where the rubber meets the road. It's easy to say, this is the thing that I want to change. Here's what I want to improve. The difficult thing is getting down in the business of, okay, if that's going to happen, what adjustments do I have to make? Okay, if I want to be closer to God, what are some of the kinds of things that I might write down? Well, I'm, I would almost certainly begin to say things like, well, I know I need some time to spend every day in God's Word, some time to spend in prayer. I want to may, may want to get specific about what that looks like. For me, I may need to backtrack and say, okay, if I'm going to have that time with God, I need to go to bed 30 minutes earlier. I need to make worship a priority. It's not a, uh, I'll see how I feel, I'll see how the weather is. No, worship will be a priority. Experiencing small group community because God speaks and works so powerfully within community. So small group is going to be a, a priority. I will be there. I will be connected and transparent. Maybe, you know, physical fitness is the thing that you wrote down. I want to lose 30 pounds or, or you know, whatever it is. Okay, get down to the business. So what does that mean? What are the specific changes that will need to take place? Spell out. What are the eating habits? What's the, what's the calorie range that you're going to operate within? You know, what's the exercise plan? What are the parts to that that you need to begin to spell out? I hope some people wrote down, I want a great marriage. Okay, if you do, what are the specific things that you've got to begin to build in to have a great marriage? If you're a workaholic wanting a great marriage, saying, I'm only going to work 40 hours a week or 45 or 50, setting some limits on that so that you have margin in your life. Saying things like, hey, I am going to be disciplined to have a date night every week. It's going to be in my calendar. I'm going to plan it. We're going to do it. We're going to spend time allowing love to grow. Hey, if you've got an average marriage and you want a great marriage, one of the things I always encourage people to do is take times away, especially if you're a parent. But everybody needs it. Probably nobody needs it more than parents who are busy raising kids. You need time away where you really get to just focus completely on each other and just swimming in love. And if you've got little kids and you're just pulling your hair out going, 
we're not at a point where we can afford to go away several times a year. Because I'm telling you, ideally, you need this at least once a quarter, that you get at least a weekend away from your kids to just focus on one another. And you may be going, that's so unrealistic. Do you want a great marriage or not? There are ways to do it, and it doesn't have to be expensive. If you can't afford to go away, just give your kids away for a weekend. Somebody will take them. Find a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, somebody that will take your kids. And if you can't afford to go away, stay at home and make it great. And you may be thinking, how does that work? Send your kids away so you can stay home. Listen, I'll give you permission. I'll even give you words to say. You just tell the grandparents, will you keep the kids for the weekend while we go away to a conference? And if they press the point and say, what kind of conference? Tell them it's a marriage conference. It's an NIB conference. You don't have to tell them that NIB stands for naked in bed. And you just stay that way all weekend long. You try it. Your marriage will be better because of it. You just, you follow my counsel. Now, this is only for the married people. If you're not married, your thing can be that the goal is to get married, and there are steps for that. We need a plan, and it's going to take discipline to follow that plan. Paul said in the following verses of the passage we just read, 1 Corinthians 9, So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Now, Paul, at this point, you hear, he is on track, he's focused, he's living with discipline. And this is where I start feeling bad because I'm like, but I'm not. I'm just not disciplined, not by nature. Maybe you're feeling that struggle, like this message would be great if I were a disciplined person. Disciplined people aren't the ones who need this message the most. It's people like me who need it. Those of us who aren't very disciplined. And part of what we've got to get is our, our heads on straight and our thinking straight. Because we give ourselves permission just a tiny little bit at a time with things that that's not going to hurt. And that's not going to hurt for one day. And as we do that day after day, we actually set ourselves up for terrible failures. Here's how a, a psychologist describes what takes place. And see if this doesn't make sense for you. In the issues that we're talking about, he said, it's much like a person who wants to have a fantastic-looking yard. We all love to have a great yard. But he said, you know, imagine that you want your yard to just look perfect. And he said, you know, not everything about having a great yard is just about how you trim it and what you feed it. But, you know, some of it is about what you choose not to do on your yard. And he said, picture, if you will, that your house is like our house is, where when you walk out the front door, the mailbox is straight ahead of you across a lot of yard. But the thing about it is, our sidewalk doesn't go that direction. Our sidewalk goes this direction. You have to walk probably 20 or 30 steps in this direction and then walk down a long driveway to get to our mailbox. So you know what the tempting thing is to do if your house is like our house. You take a shortcut, right? It's just so much shorter to get to the mailbox directly. And the psychologist said, you know, th that's in all of us, that we, we want the, just the shortest path. We want the, the easy way, the shortcut. And it's not going to hurt anything on one day to walk across your beautiful lawn to your mailbox to get the mail. Nothing is hurt by you doing that one day. And that's a picture of how pretty much all of the things are that we're talking about. It's not going to really hurt you to cheat in most areas. 
one time. It's not going to hurt you to cheat on your diet. It's not going to kill you spiritually to sleep in one day this week and not have your quiet time. It's not going to foul you up horribly if you miss church one time or whatever your thing is if you cheat this one time. You just took the shortcut to the mailbox. And sure did feel good, didn't it? By the way, the psychologist points out, Part of the reason that felt so good was not just because it was easier and it was shorter, but any time you're doing something that you know in your heart is out of bounds, you have a physiological response to that that's a little bit surprising. When you know that you cheated to do it, your body repeat, uh, releases just a little bit of dopamine. You get just a little bit of a natural high without having to go to Colorado. You, you get just a little bit of a, of a buzz in your brain and in your body. A little dopamine gets released because I violated my own rules and it felt so good. Do you know when I feel that the most? I don't do this often. I, I, we've got a set routine in our house. There are certain days that we go to the gym and other days that are our days off. But when on one of our gym days and, and periodically, I will just feel so exhausted. My head, you, know, you wake up in the morning, your head's pounding and you would just kill for another hour of sleep. Once in a while, I will let myself skip the gym and just sleep another hour. I feel that dopamine release because I feel like I've just done something naughty and it felt good. You know, it's like that was more than just an hour of sleep. It felt so good to not go work out. Well, what they point out is it doesn't do any real damage to cheat that one time. But if you do it again... And again, just like walking the shortcut across your yard to your mailbox, if you do it day after day, you don't get to where you don't even really think about the possibility of taking the sidewalk and the driveway because this is just the way that you do it. And without meaning to and without even noticing when you began to do some damage, you're going to look back after some months and some years. And what are you going to see right down the middle of your yard? Dirt. You're going to see a cattle trail. You're going to see a path worn between your door and the mailbox and it's going to make your yard look horrible and you don't know when exactly you crossed the line but somewhere along the way it became a habit to take the shortcut and shortcuts taken again and again do real damage and this is how it works in life what's happening is when we take shortcuts whatever they are we're creating neural pathways now when you cheat on your diet or you you cheat on whatever, you know, I slept in, I didn't have a quiet time, or I slept in, I didn't go to the gym. Whatever the thing was, wherever you let yourself slack, we all are going to have a day when we take the shortcut to the mailbox. And it doesn't really do any damage in most areas to take a shortcut occasionally. But it's when you let yourself do it on consecutive days, and two days becomes three, and three days becomes a week. And very quickly, a new neural pathway is in place so that your brain wants to take you down the shortcut path. You expect to get the shortcut. And you know where you are at that point. Just a rotten habit is developed. And now that's where destruction begins to set in. And it gets difficult to change that shortcut. A lot of us are like, I didn't need all that explanation. I know that's where I am. I've got real cattle trails cut and some in a bunch of areas in my life. I mean, isn't that where a lot of us live? We know where our cattle trails are. They're ruining the yard. We've got to set some new patterns for how we live. 
Paul said, so I run with purpose in every step. This is what discipline means. This is what disciples do. We learn to stop taking shortcuts in life. And if you're going to cut out the shortcuts in your life, I just want to leave you with three simple pieces to eliminating the shortcuts and choosing to live with discipline instead of regret. And for me, for all of us, it really boils down to these three things if we're disciples of Jesus living with discipline. The first one is this. I need Christ and His power in my life. If I'm a spendaholic... I need Christ and his power so that I don't take the shortcut to getting the boat or the new car or the bigger house or the new wardrobe that I can't pay for in cash. If I'm an alcoholic, if I'm a sexaholic, whatever it is, if I have compulsive behavior in my life, willpower is not going to solve that problem. There are countless people who could line up in this room and all over this county and say, I've been to all kinds of meetings and I've used all the willpower imaginable and I continue to fall. You've got to tap into a power beyond yourself to overcome the areas of your biggest struggle. And it's not enough to simply be a Christian. You've got to be a Christian who taps into the power of God To free you in that area. You need his power to change where there's an old rut. We all know Philippians 4.13 where Paul said, I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. It's so simple, but don't run past it. Do you pray for Christ's strength to be released in your life in the specific area that you wrote down? Sometimes we're just so ashamed because we've made so many promises to ourselves or to God about what we'll do from now on or what we'll never do again that it's like I'm embarrassed to even bring it up to God again. You ever felt that way? I promise you I have. I have felt that plenty of times in my life. You don't shrink back. He's pleased when you come to him and say, Jesus, I need your power and I'm only asking you for enough strength and power today to make wise choices In whatever area it is we're talking about. Help me to have the discipline to do what I need to in this area of my life. I love what Peter said in 2 Peter 1.3. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. His divine power has given us everything we need. Say that with me. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. What all do you think is included in everything we need? I think you're right. I think that includes everything. Do you think there are any exclusions? There aren't. Wherever you need discipline in your life, Christ, Christ in you, supplies everything you need to walk in victory and with discipline there. It's so cool to watch over time how that works itself out. I think back about my own life, and I don't take any pride in sharing this, but I'm just going to be real transparent with you. I'm a man. I struggle with the things that a man would struggle with. And I can remember, particularly as a younger man, it used to be such a struggle to go to the beach or go to the pool or sometimes even to the gym and not want to do the double take, the triple take, the quadruple take. Not to check out the length of a woman's hair, but to check out the shape of her body. And, you know, I'm just feeling like I'm the swimsuit police or something. I want to make sure that's covering everything it's supposed to cover there, you know. 
just really struggled with what guys tend to struggle with. Wanting to take that second look. Wanting to let the gaze linger longer than it should. And I can remember as a young man feeling so much shame about that. And just declaring I'm never doing that again. I just I don't like what, how I feel when I've done that. I know that's not honoring to the Lord. God, I'm never going to do that again. I don't know how many times in my own heart I promised myself or promised God only to fail again and again and again. And it was only over time that I began to realize how powerless I was to control something as simple as where my eyes would go in relation to a woman. That's rather pathetic, isn't it? And yet that was just reality. But over time, I began to stop promising what I would do and just calling out to God for his power to change me and for him to give me the strength to just be appropriate in only looking where a man should look and only letting thoughts remain where they should remain. And here's the cool thing. I don't have any testimony as to some great willpower on my part in this, but I can tell you the power of God has been manifest in my life in a way it is not a struggle now. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. Years later, I look back and realize it's not even a struggle to be on the beach or to be at the pool, or for us more frequently, you know, to be at the gym where there are lots of people working out. And sometimes there will be women who are working out who aren't wearing a lot, or what they are wearing is wrapped really, really tightly. And to realize that just isn't tempting the way that it used to be. And you may say, well, you're just getting older. Maybe that's a part of the equation, but I ain't that old. I can tell you what the biggest difference is. It's Christ in me. And it's me realizing how powerless that I am in an area like that. And it actually, you know, I'm pondering this message this week. And it was just one of those neat little Holy Spirit moments that I'm in the gym and I'm on the incline uh, sit-up bench. And a young lady who's frequently in the gym just happens to, I know she didn't intend to do it, but she just happened to position herself, I mean, just squarely in front of me. And she is wrapped skin tight doing her exercises. And she's just doing what she does bending over right in front of me where I'm on the the exercise bench and I I just did what now is second nature for me I'm doing sit-ups and I'm here and I'm here and I'm here and you know and all that that season passes and you know go on to the next thing and but I just sense that the whisper of the Holy Spirit just going do you see the difference that wasn't you that was me you didn't muster that and did you realize how easy that was? And it's like, yeah, it really was. I don't even have to think about that, those things anymore. That's not, I don't even feel myself going, man, I sure do want to do a double take on her back. said, no. You know what I feel in those moments? I really do want to honor Jesus and my wife above everything right now. And the best way I know to do that is to turn my head to the side or to close my eyes while I'm, while I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm not saying that to give myself a pat on the back. Trust me, there's plenty of times I deserve a kick in the pants, not a, not a pat on the back. But I want to tell you, when Peter says that Christ has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, everything means everything. But we need to ask and be specific. Lord, I need help in this area of my life. And don't be afraid to call out yourself in some areas where we carry a lot of shame. The second thing that I need, that you need, is we need some clear boundaries and goals. Paul said to Timothy in his last letter, And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. Two simple things that are a key part of the, the puzzle here. The prize and the rules. Those represent goals and boundaries. 
That's why we need to write this stuff out. That's why I said get out your outline, get out a pen, write it down. Make it specific, make it measurable so that you can say whether you did it or you failed. And be honest about how you're doing day by day with that. We need goals, we need boundaries. What, what are the boundaries that you need? If I'm going to pursue things in terms of health or, you know, or spiritual health, what are the boundaries? Does it have to do with an early bedtime? Does it have to do with my get-up time? Does it have to do with you know, counting calories or whatever? What are the boundaries that I need to put in place? If, if the area that I am so desperate to work on where I need change the most right now is, is with finances, then boundaries may look like you know, a written budget, a savings plan, getting specific. I am cutting up credit cards today. For the rest of my life, if I can't pay for it in cash, I don't buy it. You see, those are boundaries. Those are really clear things. There's no confusion about, hmm, I wonder if I violated a boundary or not. When you make those black and white, don't have a spending plan that says, you know, spend less money. Well, how measurable is that? You know, pay in cash, don't use the card, operate by a budget. Did I, you know, maintain, am I operating within my budget? Boundaries within your marriage if you want a great marriage. Boundaries like I'll never let a week go by that we don't have a date night. I'll never let a day go by that we don't have some alone time to communicate. I'll never let you know this period of time go by without going away. I'll set boundaries about levels of contact and communication and any kind of interaction with the opposite sex. Setting boundaries so that I can pursue a great goal. What are the goals and what are the boundaries to keep me moving toward that goal? And then the final piece is this. I need accountability. Paul said, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's part of the equation that we're not crazy about. You cannot do the life of a disciple well and do it solo. Jesus did not call us to be solo acts. You can only be a great disciple in community. You know, the great athletes in the Olympics or any, any type of sport, the great athletes always have training partners. They always have coaches. They never get there by themselves. They always have people who are helping them achieve greater levels of excellence. Now, it's human nature that we're going to stand really strong and be really disciplined at times and at other times just completely let down our guard. So even when you think you're doing well and you may be doing well in a particular area, you never really lose the need to have some kind of training partner, somebody that you submit yourself to out of reverence for Christ because I want to be a true disciple of Jesus and I realize that sometimes on my own I am a faithful, disciplined follower of Christ. But here's the thing. I can't tell you why, but there are just seasons that will be ushered in in my life where I'm like, where did all that discipline go? Where did all of that, mm, let's do it. Where did it go? And it's in those times that it's a big deal that God has a safety net around me that I had to embrace. That I have people in my life who love me and have been intentionally brought in at a level. I know I'm going to sit with them every week. We have made a clear determination. We're going to ask each other these questions every week. You know, some of the priorities that are things that I want most. I want a great marriage. So they ask me every week what I'm doing to pursue my wife and to, to court her to work toward a great marriage. 
They ask me questions every week to make sure I'm doing the things to pursue a strong relationship with Christ because I value that. And you may think, well, good grief, you've been a Christian for 40 years. You're the pastor of the church. You actually need that. I'll guarantee you I need that. I've never met a pastor who doesn't. But I don't think I've ever met a Christian who doesn't need that. We need accountability. Who do you know that just their example challenges you and encourages you toward greatness in whatever area? I mean, when you think about the area that you wrote down, boy, this is what I want most right now. It may be health. It may be financial change. It may be changing a a destructive, controlling habit in your life. It may be pursuing greatness in a relationship with God, a mate, a child. Who do you know that in that area, man, you just look at them and go, I want to be more like that. You see, it's a biblical principle that we would latch on to other people. Paul was very intentional about being that for others. He would say, I want you to follow my example. Watch me and just do what I do. And then he would, he would attach himself to other people, people like Timothy. That he would say, you know, I'm going to pass it on to you. I want you to watch my example. I want you to imitate what you've seen in me and then pass it on to other people. Who can be a training partner for you? This may be the single most important step that you take in relation to what I'm talking about today. Is finding somebody else and saying, look, I'm tapping into God's power. I am looking to him for help. But I realize that a part of tapping into God's power for help is tapping into God's family. So I want to ask you to hold me accountable. And sometimes that's really hard. Because sometimes that accountability and change is about I need to get rid of some really bad stuff in my life. You know, it's hard to have a great marriage when you're addicted to pornography. And it's almost impossible to get free from an addiction to pornography unless there's another man or another woman, somebody the same sex, that can look at you every week and ask you hard questions and you guys be really open and honest and transparent about what's going on. It's got to be somebody you can trust. But the question becomes, how badly do you want it? Are you willing to strip off everything that entangles so that you can run with focus and endurance the race that God has for you? There is freedom in what I'm talking about. If you've never tried the kind of accountability that I'm talking about, I know the truth of the matter is it's scaring the pants off of you probably to consider it if you've never been there. I can remember the first time I ever sought that out. I'm like, this guy's going to think I'm crazy. I've been praying about this. He's going to think I'm out of my mind. And once I actually stepped into a relationship and we began to help each other this way, we both found so much freedom in that. It's Suddenly so many things became so much easier because the light was being brought to bear on that. The light of truth and accountability. And it's amazing how different life became as a result of that. And now it's just become a lifestyle over the last 20 years. I need the power of God. I need some clear boundaries and I need accountability. So let's go back to the original question. What do you want most? Not what do you want now. What do you want most? And are you willing to tap into God's power and make some very significant changes to see that? That power unleashed in your life. Would you bow together with me as we turn to the Lord in prayer? God, thank you that you are committed to finish what you have started in us. We embrace that. 
we confess that we need you desperately and that we are just failures lost and undone without you. If today, as, as we have focused on this issue, if you really feel like the Holy Spirit has put his finger on an area in your life where there needs to be change and where you're not going to be able to change and make it stick without his help, but you realize, boy, I do feel like there's an area that he's brought to mind. Would you just raise your hands? That's all I want you to do. Just, would you raise your hand and say, yep, I, I see an area that needs to change. God, I'm just asking you today. You see raised hands. You know these situations and these hearts. And I'm praying right now that you would pour out the power, the discipline, the strength that's needed to live differently. We thank you for fresh starts and clean slates. And we pray for that today. Holy Spirit, we welcome your work. We love you. We love your work in us. And we offer ourselves in you. Christ, live in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.